Hello, everyone. It's John Otterstead, Bobby Darren, Scarlet Nation podcast. Today, we are talking the Big Ten Media Day, and it was a wild one yesterday. A lot of news coming out of it, and just a heightened sense of excitement since Rutgers football is right around the corner. So, Bobby, I wanted to talk to you today about an article that you put up at the tail end of a day that I think saw Scarlet Nation put up 10 or 11 articles on the day, Mm -hmm. and it was where you wrote 10 things that you learned at the Big Ten Media Day. And before we even get into that, though, I want to tell you one thing I learned is that, man, no one does a press conference like Jim Harbaugh. Here's his opening line. Good afternoon. Happy to be here. I'll take any questions. <laughs> and he, I don't know if you caught that. That was his entire opening statement. He had a Michigan shirt and a hat on. Everybody else is dressed in suits. Uh, uh, so he definitely marches to the beat of his own drum. Yeah. And, uh, it, he, I, you know, it was interesting how the, uh, I don't know if you heard, like the questions that came at him were from competing teams, uh, media just asking like, Hey, do you realize that you have not been able to consistently beat your top rivals in the East division? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know. He, he actually handled it well, pretty well for Jim Harbaugh, <laughs> but let's get over to your article. Cause I think it's a great one. If you folks, if you haven't read it, go check it out on scarletnation.com. And number one, you said the tight end position is tough. Talk to me about that position. And it's this is not something we've seen in a while. We haven't really spoken much about the tight end position. Why is it going to be you know a bigger topic of conversation this year? Well, you have John McNulty, who was a former tight end coach in the NFL. You have Jerome Washington, who's an NFL prospect. Travis Vokalek, who is likely to emerge into an NFL prospect. Um, you know, Chris Ash said something yesterday, kind of caught my eye. He said, you know, he has a chance to be a star. And watching him through spring practice, you know, it was obvious that, you know, he does have the makings of, of a star tight end. Uh, you know, he's a kid with great size, but has the athleticism of a wide receiver. Um, then you have Jerome Washington returning uh, leading receiver for Rutgers, can do a lot of different things, very dynamic. And you have a one-two punch that's really good. Um, the Kia Griffin-Stewart is a nice complement as the third tight end. So I, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, double tight end sets, and they can move um, Vokalek out and, and flex him it, 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 you know, split out so he can almost be like a receiver, uh, create some great mismatches. But the fact that Ash was so um, forthcoming about Vokalek, it, it was really eye-opening. And I think you kind of have to read between the lines at some of these things. Um, he's really excited about the tight end position. Jerome Washington's back healthy. And I think you're going to see them be a, a significant part of the offense, especially since you have wide res- a wide receiver contingent that hasn't really done anything at the college level. We have a at least two freshmen coming in. Jalen Jordan, six foot five, two hundred ten pounds. Davon Robinson, six foot four, two hundred ten. How do they figure into? Yeah, this? they're going to probably redshirt. I mean, you, you know, you have three. Uh, guys that that have proven they can play, uh, there's no need to rush them into action. And and they came, you know, uh, Robinson still needs to hit the weight room. Uh, Jalen Jordan looked like a receiver when he enrolled early. So, um, you know, break in case of emergency is is kind of the motto on those. Uh, I think you'll see them redshirted pretty early. 
For those who have not really followed the Rutgers offense too closely in the Chris Ash era, can you talk a little bit about how that tight end position has morphed over his time here? You know, he kind of hands the offense over to the offensive coordinator. So uh, it, it kind of faded under Drew Merringer. Then it became prominent under Jerry Kill. Now with John McNulty uh, coming in the mix, he is going to kind of, you know, really utilize that position given his former history as an NFL tight ends coach and also given the fact that he has a lot of talent at the position. So what I think you saw over the last couple of years is different philosophies of different coordinators and them putting their stamp uh, you know, on the offense and how the tight ends tight ends fit in. But, you know, whoever's here this year as the OC, you, you look at the talent there and you say, we have to use these guys. So I, I think a lot of it has to do with who is out there too. All right. Number two in your list of things that we learned yesterday was the official Sikowski time. Sikowski, everybody gets on me for mispronouncing his name. Sikowski time has not yet arrived. So what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, by official time, uh, you know, another one you read between the lines, you know, Chris Ash is not naming a starter. He will not name a starter, probably not until the second week of the season. But if that starter is anybody other than Art, um, you know, something significant, drastic and monumental will have to happen all at once. You know, this is the guy that's going to be running the Rutgers offense. And when you look at him, you can see why, you know, has the pro quarterback build, you know, has the toughness, has the leadership, can make the tight throws, has a big arm, has everything that, that you need to to build a successful offense and, and, and build a successful quarterback. It's something Rutgers has really been without for quite some time. So you just watch him on the practice field and, and it's really, you know, it, it's kind of obvious that this is your guy for this year and beyond. You know, a couple of the conversations that Chris Ash had Yesterday with the media, he talked about leadership at that quarterback position. And it's kind of interesting to think of a kid who's so young, like Art, being that leader. But everything we've heard coming out of practice, everything we've heard coming out of informal workouts is that he's someone who actually commands the respect even of the upperclassmen on the team. Yeah, and, you know, a guys respect talent, too, and, and they see that in him. And, and, and he has a certain level of maturity, and he's a guy that's not afraid to call another guy out if they're not doing something, you know, correctly or up to par. It, it doesn't matter that, you know, he's just graduated high school. Um, this guy's out there, and, and he's, you know, trying to run the show and, and lead, you know, by example, by being vocal. Um and he really that that's one of the things that's really an intangible to quarterback position is that leadership ability. And he has already shown that. And, you know, if he could start putting, uh, you know, the, the play together, reading defenses, you know, processing everything, he could be a really good quarterback. Now, right before he got reached the podium, he pulled a few of the uh, media members aside and kind of gave them the scoop on what's going on with the investigation. But I guess the scoop is that there isn't much scoop at this time. Can you comment a on, a on that a little bit? You know, bit? it's an investigation, so it's really out of his hands. You know, investigators are going to investigate, and when they find, you know, whatever happened in the situation, they'll present the evidence, and then, you know, the the – punishments or lack thereof will be handing out handed out accordingly so um it's a legal matter which is why we don't you know put anything in print which um you, you know because it could come back and, and hurt us because nothing is official you know you can't just speculate when it comes to to legal i mean you could speculate as a fan and talk but you know as a writer you can't just write speculation you know you have to write facts and right now the facts are two players were dismissed for a violation of team rules and that 
that is all that's come out of the investigation. So there'll be more coming out. And, you know, Chris Ash is the same way with everybody else. He's kind of waiting and see what that uncovers. And, you know, it's, you know, they're being investigated for fraudulent credit card use. I'm not an expert on, you know, the penalties or the legalities of of credit card use or illicit credit card use, illegal credit card use. So uh, it's best to let the the proper investigators and the proper authorities sort this one out. And then we can kind of make sense of it. All right. Number four, you said there will be freshmen on the field. And that was a hot topic of conversation yesterday. I heard media members not only asking the coaches, but also different players about how they felt about that new NCAA rule. I just thought maybe you could comment on what that new NCAA rule is, how it affects Rutgers. And I know you had an article, the Tuesday Scoop today, where you listed, I believe it was 10 players who you know, could see playing time this year, and you gave a little bit of commentary on each. So just talk to us a little bit about the rule and how it affects Rutgers. Well, you know, it's funny. The redshirt rule was always, you know, a guy had to get hurt or play in so many games, and some guys would mysteriously come down with phantom injuries, and they wouldn't, you know, uh, wouldn't would be able to redshirt. Um, I, I think, you know, redshirt rule or not, a lot of that's going to come down this year to um, – you know, depth and, and how many of these guys are needed. But uh, a lot of these guys enrolled early. So I don't think they will, the ones we were talking about really won't apply to that red shirt rule. Um, you know, it, it will, it will, you know, you'll, you're going to need guys like Art Sikowski. You, you know, you, you're going to need um, running back like Isaiah Pacheco. Um, you, Eddie Lewis is, you know, sl- uh, front runner to start in the slot position. So these are guys um, that, that are going to play. You know, and and that's why I kind of highlighted it yesterday because Chris Ash said a lot of these guys are going to play, especially the ones who've been here since um, January. There's ten guys, and they're not all freshmen. Technically, Adam Corsack is going to be the starting punter, um, but he had a year of of uh, college experience, just college, so he's not a you know quote unquote freshman. Um, you know, John Hilleman is a grad transfer. Malik Dixon is a junior college transfer. So those guys are going to play too. Uh, so you'll see a lot of new faces. But I think that redshirt rule is going to come into play down uh, down the line in the season when you know depth starts to become an issue. Guys get banged up. You have to push guys into action unnecessarily. Last year, Travis Vokalek played early because there was you know some some tight ends were banged up. So that. They switched Miles Nash to defensive end. Uh, there was a need for him, but he really didn't play a ton. Had one catch last year, and I think you're going to see his production just skyrocket this year. So um, that rule apply, I think, more so to to the injury situation and depth issues. All right. Next one, number five, Blasson Austin's return may be ahead of schedule. You know, uh, yeah, I guess everything he was saying yesterday made it sound like he's – Healed up, ready to go, and ready to have a big and, season. And, right? You know, it, it, it really can't identify that until you see him in game action because, you know, usually it takes a year to come back. You know, he was hurt during the season. All reports and everything he's saying, everything I've been told is he's ahead of schedule, but you really won't know until you play football because, uh, you know, a football game is not something you can really simulate anywhere else. You know, he can run around all summer and play seven on seven and do coverage and conditioning and, and all that stuff. But there, there's nothing to really replace live action. And I don't think it's necessary for the coaches to throw him out against Texas State, even Ohio State, uh, you know, every defensive play, you know, wane him back in, let him get his feet wet, let him work the rust off because it's a major injury and you want him to be healthy for that stretch of the season, but you really can't rush these injuries. So he says he's healthy. Ash says he's healthy. 
you know, I, I'm still taking a wait and see because he may be healthy, but playing football is different than, you know, being considered, you know, healthy. I, I mean, healthy in football terms and, and healthy in, in what you and I consider healthy is a little different. Right. Number six, you said Trey Avery is one to watch. Trey Avery, redshirt sophomore, 5'10", 170 pounds, defensive back. He's someone who basically was mentioned in many of the interviews by Rutgers players and Chris Ash. Why is everyone so high on him? I mean, this is a former Ohio State commit. Didn't go to Ohio State because, uh, you know, he failed to qualify, had to work out some academic issues. Uh, Chris Ash recruited him at Ohio State, and, and here he is. I mean, you know, this this is a big deal. I mean, you know, th- this is a kid who was, you know, going to play for a team that recently won a national championship. So um, he has the talent. He has the speed. Uh, anybody that saw him in the spring, you know, can vouch for that. He's part of the reason why Damon Hayes was moved to safety um before KJ Gray was even dismissed from the team. So um that ought to speak a little bit to his abilities. He's quick, he's twitchy. Uh, you know, Blisson Austin talked about him. That's why I figured I, I would put it in there just kind of to remind people, hey, keep an eye on this kid, because this is a talented cornerback. And with him there and uh, and Isaiah Wharton, who's a multi-year starter, there's no need to rush Blesson Austin back for game one, game two, game three. You know, you go through that that first stretch of the season and, and there's you can ease them in because you have some guys who can play it. And I'm really, uh, you know, intrigued to see uh, Trey Avery play because he's been really good uh, in the spring. He's been, you know, great reports out of him, has speed, and, and uh, he, he's, a, he's a Big Ten corner. All right, number seven, O-line will be a pivotal position. I know Cole, when asked about his fellow offensive line members, was very high on them yesterday said that they're good last year. No reason to believe that they'll be anything but great this year. What do you, you know, think? I, this is the 11th season covering the team. And every before every season, you know, you hear a lot of the same uh, comments from the players. This is a year we're better, we're stronger, we're faster. You know, what are they going to say? We're, we're worse, you know. So, um, you know, they have the confidence. They are a tight unit, but I'm taking a wait and see on them because, you know, it doesn't matter if Sikowski throws, you know, the, the best ball in the Big Ten. It doesn't matter if, if Isaiah Pacheco is the most explosive back in the Big Ten. If those guys don't have a little bit of time, they're not going to do anything. It all starts in the trenches. And, and you know, for those playmakers to be able to make plays, they're going to need some time. And, and that starts with the big boys. And, and there's just a lot of question marks outside Terry Cole. Um, so that's really the, the big question. How is Rutgers offense going to be? I think it's all going to come down to how their offensive line performs. And if it can perform well, it'll be a nice offensive season. But, you know, Sikowski's a true freshman. If, if, if he doesn't have time to throw the ball, you know, he's going to look like a true freshman. Who's someone you're looking to make some big strides this year on that offensive line? You know, line? another wait and see. Uh, Raquan O'Neal, I'm, I'm really anxious to see how he performs and progresses. He's going to play, but, you know, he, he's not a guy that's, that's slated to start. Uh, I really like Jonah Jackson on, on that offensive line. And, and then when you get in the middle, you know, it, it's it's really a toss-up. You have Nick Crimmon, who played well in the spring, but can he do it for a full year? Can he sustain it? How's he going to do it against Big Ten competition? Is Mike Maietti a strong enough center to play through an entire Big Ten season. Uh, Mike Lonsdorf is a guy who Coach Blazik has really been high on. He could come up. So there, there, there's a lot of what ifs in there, but I, I do like Jonah Jackson. He's a tough kid, uh, you know, great leader. I, I think he'll be very good in the interior. But, you know, the rest of those guys are question marks. Cole will be good, but, you know, outside of Cole and Jackson, you know, toss a coin in the air, heads or tails. I, I'm not sure which way it's going to go. 
Number eight said no evening out the divisions. Just talking about the kind of that stranglehold of top teams you have there on the eastern side, which obviously negatively affects Rutgers competing with the likes of Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State. And I think that was a question people were hoping to see, you know, would they consider rearranging things a little bit? The answer was no. Can you comment yeah, on that? And it's it's a great topic of conversation because you look at these teams and it's just top heavy. The Big Ten's top heavy in the East. Um, I don't think they want to get rid of those rivalries, the Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State. And, and, and to me, that that's what I think is one of the main reasons. You know, um, I, I think that is, is a bigger uh, priority for the Big Ten than creating parity in the divisions. Um, and, you know, Rutgers gets the short end of the stick in that one because it's it's murderer's row against those four teams every year. But, you know, put it in there to clarify the fact, hey, this schedule is not lighting up, lightening up despite what you might hear, you know, people talking and whatnot. And it, it's I think those divisions are set in stone. So um, it's just a matter of, hey, you got to get better and got to compete with the big boys. You know, if you said 25 years ago, that one day Rutgers was going to be competing and playing against Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State every year, pull it in games across the other division here, or just being in the Big Ten. I mean, there's not a single fan who wouldn't have signed up for that in a heartbeat. And unfortunately, you know, it does make it more difficult for Rutgers to get a winning record and to kind of reach the top of the conference. But it sure does make for some great Saturdays in the yeah, schedule. and that's what you want. I mean, this is big-time college football. And let's not forget, Rutgers was on a path towards, you know, establishing itself as a perennial, you know, bowl team, a, a, a team that could make a run at a, at a top 20 finish. And then Kyle Flood happened. I hate to bring him up, but, you know, it decimated everything Greg Schiano did. So it, it has to build back up. And and now you have to rebuild to, to try, try to compete with those big Big Ten East teams, and it's a lot tougher competing against them than it was competing against USF and Connecticut and Syracuse every year in the Big East. Oh, my God, Bobby. I'm listening to ESPNU radio before, and they're talking about how at the AAC uh, Media Day, every single thing that they're handing out talks has the word Power, five, uh, power Six written on it. So trying to get themselves into that conversation, there's no longer a Power Five, there's a Power Six. And just all the things that that conference is doing to just try to scrape together some buzz or whatever from the national media. And then a couple hours earlier, I'm listening to the channel and they're just going gaga over the Big Ten and what incredible conferences and what a great year this is going to be. And I just found myself saying, oh my gosh, I remember the days of being in that conference and, you know, not having people respect you. And maybe Pete Rucker still doesn't get the respect that the team, you know, could get or should get or would get if they were doing better. But just being aligned with the Big Ten obviously just helps the team so you much You know, and, and it's funny you brought that up. Um, we used to go to every um, media day in, at the Big East and, and uh, the, a, the American, and it was in Newport, Rhode Island. And it kind of sum it up. It, you know, they would have a clam bake the night before, and, and the coach would take the, the beat writers out for drinks. So it started with Chiano and continued with Flood. And one of the last ones we had there, it was it was empty. I mean, there were, there were hardly any people there at the media day. But the night before, the place he took us, June Jones was the head coach of SMU. 
And he was just sitting at the bar by himself with, with a drink. He looked so disconsolate, so sad. He was just sitting there like like a beaten and defeated and wounded animal. This was a guy who used to coach in the NFL, coached in Hawaii. Now he's in the American at SMU. And, and it was just like I wanted to go up and give him a hug. You know, he just looked so depressed. But <laughs> that kind of sums it up. And then, you know, uh, it, it, it was just it was it was just empty. It was depressing. It just, you know, it, it, you could tell that, that it was a league that was, you know, it was playing second fiddle to a lot of other leagues. Well, let's do some talk about something that's not depressing. Number nine on your list, McNulty may bring offense back to Rutgers. You know, that's uh, all anyone wants, Bobby. That's all anyone wants. Give us some hope here on the Scarlet Nation I podcast. Mean, you know, it's a guy that wanted Rutgers. I mean, this is a guy who, who had, Tremendous levels of success there. Went to the NFL. Um, he, he he's a legit OC, you know. And, and you you know, even when Chris Ash came in, he struggled with with Drew Merringer, who was a first time guy. Jerry Kill had health issues. He was very ineffective. And, and you know, go back to the revolving door. You know, Ben McDaniel's. You go back all the way. Brock. You know, I, I don't even want to keep mentioning these guys, but. Um, it's just, you know, Rutgers fans has been through the ringer with offensive coordinators, and and now they have somebody who really gets it, uh, who who's really a, a good offensive mind. And even earlier, when I mentioned the offensive line might have some struggles, he's a guy that can compensate for that. All right, let's call a quick hitter player. Let let's do this so that it, it, these guys don't have to block for four or five seconds. You know, so I, I think you're going to see somebody who's very creative, somebody who is is not afraid to take chances, somebody who's going to play to his his team's strengths. And, um, you know, just hearing Chris Ash talk about him, you know, it kind of reinforced the fact that, hey, Rutgers really has a legit OC this year. All right. Now, you are much more entrenched in the world of recruiting than I am. But this is something we talked about a few years ago as the entire country was moving to spread offenses and these spread options and all the variations there for, you know. I thought maybe that provided a little kernel of opportunity for Rutgers. If Rutgers is going to go against the tide, go with the pro style, perhaps they're going to have more luck than recruiting the big tight ends or recruiting the different types of linemen that perhaps might be a little bit different, maybe more suited, or even the quarterbacks more suited for a pro style offense. Maybe a guy that 15 years ago never would have looked at Rutgers, uh, Maybe like an Arthur Sikowski might look at Rutgers more often that, you know, more now. Do you see that being the case with this new Rutgers offense and the new offensive well, coordinator? You, know, you can say what you want about schemes. It, it all comes down to production. Uh, you know, you, you get receivers at games last year and they're looking at that offense and saying, what the heck do I want to come here for? So as much as, as McNulty might have generated some hype and, and as much as he has built up his resume – He's got to do it on the field. You know, kids are going to go want to play for an exciting offense. So he has, I think he has that potential. He's got to do it on the field. Um, it's not a three-year plan. It's a, hey, let, let's see what we can do now. I mean, you know, if you're an offensive player and, and, you're, and you're a recruit and, and you're coming to visit a school or at a game and their offense is terrible, you're thinking, what the heck do I want to come here for? You know, um, some some kids might get sold on the fact that they can be the one to change it. But, um, you know, production goes a long way. So I, I think McNulty has that capability, but he's got to do it on the field. And, and, and I think Rutgers has a chance to, to, to generate some su- excitement on offense. And, and it'll be well-deserved for the fan base because they've suffered through some uh, really rough offenses in the past decade. Right. Talking about just getting those recruits, Rutgers is going to need to win to get those top kids to come. 
I think a guy like Shiano, although you know people point out he wasn't successful every single year, although he did pretty darn well given the conference that he was in and the circumstances, facilities, and their, so, things of that nature. But I, I don't see Ash as that kind of guy who could sell ice to Eskimos. I think if they have a big season this year, if they find their way into a bowl game, I think those you know, recruits that might not have looked at Rutgers the past two, three years might turn around and give a good look yeah, at them. Yeah, and, and you know it all comes down to production. I mean, two years ago when Rutgers loses seventy-eight to nothing for uh, against Michigan, people didn't even watch a game, saw that score, and said, "Oh my goodness!" And, and that becomes embedded into their mind. So, uh, you know, what changes it? You know, production on the field. You have to you have to win some games. You know, the top kids aren't going to want to play somewhere where they go out and they get their heads kicked in. Um, and it all starts with, you know, rebuilding, putting the pieces together. And, and now they're at the phase where, you know, they're going to have to win some games and going to have to be competitive to get those kids. All right. Number 10, Hester and Ash are all yeah. good. For those who have not been here pe- following that situation, what's going on with Kai Hester and the return to Rutgers you know, it, when KJ, you know, he, he left um, looking to grad transfer. Uh, it was talk of the, he had an injury and, and, and Rutgers thought it was severe. Kai didn't think it was severe. It, it seemed like they were on a different page. Anyway, they parted ways. Uh, staff was very high on, on KJ Gray. You know, he, he was projected to be the starting strong safety and, and Kai was going to go to FIU. Obviously, uh, Gray no longer with the team was dismissed for a violation of team rules. And all of a sudden Hester's back in the picture, loves Rutgers, um, wanted to be at Rutgers, wants to play for Rutgers, has a block R tattoo on, on his arm. Um, you know, has proven start at 19 games was an honorable mention, big 10 last year by the media, um, all big 10, excuse me. Uh, you know, he's a good kid. He He's a good player. Rutgers needs him. And to hear Ash speak about him, you know, really fondly, um, you know, it seems like they've patched up any, any, you know, bad blood that might have been there and, and they're on the same page. And now it's a Kai Hester, Damon Hayes position battle for the starting strong safety spot, which it will add a lot of intrigue to training camp because both are quality players. And if Kai is healthy, I think he could have a great year. Uh, the only thing that would hold him back is that injury. And, and you know, as we've talked about with Bless on Austin, you know, the only way to settle that is on the field. So, um, you know, it, it seems like everybody's happy now to have a, you know, Hester's back. Ash is, has has some more depth at the strong safety position. And, and if he's healthy, it could turn, turn out to be, you know, addition by subtraction. Well, Bobby, there you have it. We are done with this week's Scarlet Nation podcast. I cannot wait Sh- just a short while. The team's going to be back on the field. You're going to be on the sidelines bringing all the action to our readers at scarletnation.com. So I want to thank you for being with us today. I want to thank everybody who's listening to us. We really appreciate you listening to the podcast, coming to scarletnation.com, joining us on the roundtable message board. Until the next time, folks, we will see you soon.